Welcome to Radio 5G, where we sort fact from fiction, conspiracy from falsehood, reality from the unknown. And by doing so, we change the collective consciousness of humanity. A production of CosmicReality.com Welcome to Radio 5G's Cosmic Soup. This is pre-recorded, airing on November 8th, 2023. The first hour is David Icke being interviewed by Dr. Lee Merritt on the two realities we cope with, looking for ourselves. The second hour is presentations by Tucker Carlson and Jesse Waters on subject where truth confronts the mind control narrative, keeping us from seeing Icke's two realities. Thank you for listening. Be safe. All right. Thank you for joining me for this interview. And I don't think I need to do much in the way of introduction to my guest. David Icke has been an icon of truth-telling for decades. And it hasn't always been easy. And he's going to go into some of that. But uh, for those of you who've read his books and seen his interviews, you know that he has stood up against all odds and has really expanded the dialogue. We, we've we learned so much just listening to him. So I'm really honored to have him on the show today. I know that I've read uh, pretty much all of your books, but uh, for those of people that haven't been as you know aware of what you've been doing, can you get, give us a little bit of a background on yourself? Yeah, um, I was uh, born in a, on a council estate in the um, East Midlands of England, a place called Leicester. Uh, I wasn't very interested in school. Um, I left school at 15, which you could in those days. Never took a major exam in my life, thank you. And um, <laughs> but became became you know quite good at football. So I I played for a lot of schoolboy teams and eventually became a professional footballer. Uh, but that ended uh, when I was 21 with what they said was rheumatoid arthritis. I, I don't think it was, but I, I, that's what they diagnosed it as. Um, and uh, and then I became a journalist uh, on newspapers and then radio and eventually television with the BBC. First of all, regional television, then national television. And then I specialized in sport, though I was doing news before that. Um I also then became a national spokesman for the British Green Party. And that was, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but from where I've uh, gone since, that was a really important time because I saw a politics from the inside and realized that it's a waste of space and it's not going to change anything. It's not there to change anything. It's there to perpetuate um, tyranny. And uh, I um, I left the Green Party um, uh, with the knowledge of not absolutely at the time I left it, uh, because it hadn't been completely and utterly and totally consumed by the hoax of human-caused climate change. But I could see it was where it was going. And there was a lot of talking and there's not a lot of doing. And uh, then I I had a uh, an amazing, uh, if you like, or paranormal experience in that um, through my year uh, and a bit uh, as a national spokesman with the Green Party, um, 
if I was in a room alone, it was like I was not alone. And this got more and more tangible as 1989 became 1990, uh, to the point where I was um, in a hotel room in London, just down for the BBC. I'd just done a program with the BBC, um, a, a hotel called the Kensington Hilton. And um, I'm sat on the bed in an empty room, and this presence was so tangible then so strong that I said, look, if there's something there, would you please contact me? Cause you'll drive me up the wall. And a few days later, a series of very paranormal things started happening to me. Um, and I ended up um, coming across a book called mind to mind by a professional psychic called Betty shine. Now I didn't know when I picked the book up, it was uh, by a psychic. I just looked at the cover and turned it over. And then I read the blurb and I saw the word psychic. And I immediately thought, well, I wonder if this, this, this woman will be able to pick up what's got being on, going on around me for the last year. So um, I read the book in 24 hours and contacted her, went to see her, went to see her a couple of times. She did kind of hands-on healing, what some people call Reiki or that kind of thing. And so what I told her was that um, I had arthritis, maybe her uh, healing might be able to help because I didn't want to give her away anything that was happening to me at all. And uh, so I went a couple of times and we had a nice chat. And then I went the third time and uh, I was sitting on a medical type bench in her front room, not, not far from a place called Brighton on the south coast of England. And um, she was doing some you know, hands on uh, near my left knee. And I uh, felt a spider's web on my face very, very tangibly again. And um, what struck me when I felt it is that I've read in her book that when other levels of reality are trying to lock into you, um, you can sometimes feel like a spider's web on your face. And of course, what is that? I didn't know at the time, but it's, it's an electromagnetic field. It's part of the, the, the locking in communication uh, um, uh, system. The, um, the way that they lock into our reality is through an electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. And uh, about 10 to 15 seconds later, after she, um, after I had this feeling, I never said anything to her. She launches her head back and says, my God, I've got to close my eyes for this one. This is powerful. And she went on to tell me that she was getting communications from this source that was actually, and she didn't, she knew none of this. She said, they're saying they know you wanted to contact them, but the time wasn't right. You've been brought here to be contacted. Well, and uh, she said, what they're telling you is, um, this is why you're here. And she went on to tell me, um, this is uh, March 1990, that I was going to go out on a world stage and reveal great secrets. That, they're, um, that humanity, and I'm paraphrasing, was basically in a, a basically a coma state and and but there was a vibrational change coming that was going to awaken uh humanity from its slumber and was going to bring to the surface all that had been hidden from us and uh that i was going to uh go out on a world stage i'd be world famous uh putting out these secrets and I'm sitting there, you know, on a little bench in a room thinking, you know, I present the sport on the BBC. What are you talking about? <laughs> but um, 
although, you know, all my five senses were saying, what's going on? This is ridiculous. Something here was saying, you've got to go with this. You've got to go with this. And um, she said that um, or she was communicating that uh, I was from now on, I would be led to knowledge. And at other times, knowledge would be put straight in my mind and I just know it. And all I can say is from from the time I left her front room that day, it started and it's still going on. First wow. year, no, but two and a half years, I, I, I would walk into, I mean, the synchronicity in my life as it suddenly began. I would walk into personal experience, people, uh, books, documents, all endless sources of information. And it would be like someone handing me puzzle pieces, um, almost in an order that was easiest to see where they fitted. And uh, for the first, uh, like, say, two, two and a half years, um, I would conclude from that information what was happening. But after that, um, it switched, and it's been like that ever since. I would know something. I would know what was happening. And then suddenly the names, dates, places, tangible information would follow to support the initial, I, I think this is happening. And that's gone on ever since. Um, and uh, there is some force out there way beyond the human scene, which is basically everything, virtually everything that exists, humans can't see, um, that, that wishes uh, people to know what their, what their situation is, what their plight is. And what, what in the first like few years of the nineties, 1990s, it was all about secret societies and how the people that appeared to be in charge and running the world weren't actually running it. There was another force behind them that was really um, driving the direction of human society. Um, then from about 96, um, suddenly, and, and one of the things that, um, has happened in my life is, um, since then, since the, the Betty Shine, is that, um, a subject will come into my life, like for the first time, and suddenly information from that subject is hitting me from all angles. So I, um, was in America in 96 when the next level, uh, came, which was that this, uh, network, what I call the global cult, this network of secret societies, fiercely compartmentalized, which is driving the direction of human society, which is driving this dystopia now, um, is actually, uh, controlled not by humans, but by a non-human, uh, force that operates outside of human sight. Uh, and, uh, so I, I started, uh, going into that and well, didn't have to go into it. The information was coming to me, uh, uh, profusely. Uh, but of course, what you have to do is, um, not be concerned about what other people think of you. That's crucial. That's the bottom line. Because if you live in the prison that most people live in, which is the fear of what other people think, then some of the things I've talked about, like that non-human force, um, is going to get you massive ridicule. And uh, I went through enormous ridicule in the early 90s when I started talking about um, some of this. And, um, of course, I was well known in Britain because I was, I'd was i been on the television for years. 
Um, and I went through enormous, enormous ridicule. I mean, historic levels of ridicule. It was, it was, it was kind of incessant. Um, but what it did was clear me out of the fear of what other people think. Because you do one of two things when you face that level of ridicule. You either uh, disappear from the world or you let it be the fire that hones the steel. And you let go of this fear of what other people think. And it's it's an extraordinary freedom because you don't go through mental gymnastics and say, what do I leave out so they won't think I'm mad? Um, how do I put this so they won't laugh at me? Well, when you lose that fear of what other people think, you don't care if they laugh at you. you it, I, I'm, in, I'm interested in what's going on. I'm not interested in a, a round of applause. I'm not interested in a statue or a Nobel bloody prize or any of that stuff. Not interested in any of it. I'm interested in finding out what the hell's going on. And if other people want to have a, an opinion about me that I'm crazy, well, please be my guest. I couldn't care less. <laughs> and, and so um, I, when I started coming across this non-human force, which not entirely, but seems to be dominated by a reptilian type um, species. Um, I, I, I didn't go through that process. Of, ooh, ooh, I'm not I'm not saying I'm talking about this. Oh, no. Because um, what will they think? I just said, well, look, what I do is when something comes into my life, information like that, which on the face of it, when you first hear it, it's like bizarre. But I heard it from enough people in enough countries telling me the same stories that um, I, I, I put it on the back burner. That's what I do. I put it on the back burner. I think, okay, I'm going to wait and see if I get more information about this. And when I do to the point where it crosses my line, which in which I say, hey, this is real. I can see that this is real. Then you take it off the back burner and you you write it in books and you start talking about it. And so that was ridicule number two, ridicule period number two. And it's still going on among people who don't have a clue what's going on or what I'm actually saying. And then um, after the um, turn of the millennium or oh, towards the end of the 90s, I, I, I also uh, and across the millennium, I also uh, again came into my life uh, was um, researching both sides of the Atlantic and in other places like Australia, um, the the satanic nature of this global cult and how some of the most famous people in the world um, and richest people in the world are actually involved in Satanism. Yeah. And, and that connects, all the dots connect in the end, but that really connects into what was to come later. Uh, and so then after the turn of the millennium, I one day I had this overwhelming feeling that this is a simulation. Now, I'd had some thoughts about it before, and I, I thought, I'm not sure this is not a simulation. But at this point, just after the millennium, it was overwhelming. And what, what, what came to me was, this is a simulation akin to a virtual reality game, only vastly more advanced. And the limit of the simulation, at this level of it, there are other levels, is the speed of light which is why the speed of light appears to be, it's not, it appears to be the fastest speed. And um, so I started talking about that. And again, what do you want about me? But then as the years have passed, um, more and more mainstream scientists have started talking about it and saying, it does look like it's a simulation. You've got 
people like uh, Rich Terrell, uh, who worked at NASA uh, in the computer uh, yeah. area, who went public in 2017, I think it was, saying that he concluded that we live in a holographic simulation, exactly, um, and that as a result, it couldn't have been a natural uh, development. It had to be co uh, constructed by some intelligence. Uh, you had um, people like... Um, uh, a guy called Gates, James Gates, who was a uh, scientific advisor to the Obama administration. Um, he doesn't go as far as his simulation, but what he's found with his team is um, codes within the energetic fabric of our reality which match the codes you find in computers and browsers and search engines. Then there's... Um, uh, the Max uh, Tegmark at the MIT, who uh, wrote a book called Our Mathematical Universe, in which he points out that the physics of computer games match the physics of our reality. And it's one of the things that I've really seen so clearly over the, the years, and even more tangibly now, um, is how this um, this explosion of technology that's coming in to basically take the world over, look at it, is mirroring in holographics, in uh, virtual reality games, in computerization. It's mirroring the very reality we're experiencing. It's a technological um, version mimicking our, our, uh, our reality. Um, and the other um, thing that I got um, when I was getting this thing about the, the simulation, is that what we call the laws of physics are really the codes of the simulation. Because right. when you're when you're you're writing a simulation uh, 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 game, you uh, the creator is writing the codes that dictate how the game is played and what the limits of the game are. I say that's what we call the laws of physics. Uh, and uh, so um, then you you look at things like um, these codes and recurring uh, measurements and geometry within the fabric of our reality. Um, for instance, uh, the way that storms form, the way that plants grow, the way you have the proportions of the human face and the human body. They, they break down to a series of codes, which is, which is well uh, documented, not just in the esoteric, but it's known uh, in the, the, the mainstream as well. They, they break down to things like what they call pi and golden mean, divine proportion, right. the Fibonacci number sequence, um, the fractal patterns, which, which fractal patterns relate to the holographic um, principle of as above so below every uh, smaller version of a, a, a fractal pattern or a hologram is a smaller version of the whole pattern or the whole hologram and i say that um these uh recurring codes are actually codes of the simulation uh, and i say that the genetic code of the body is is a, is a computer code, in effect. I, I've been calling the body since the 1990s a biological computer.
And uh, what I'm saying in the dream is that what this is doing is decoding the simulation in exactly the way that a, a computer decodes Wi-Fi. So if you said to um, right. somebody uh, about um, who, did, who knew nothing about computers, if you said to them that there's a, a field of information in this room or wherever that you can tap into and you can tap into a whole worldwide reality, a vast reality of information, and that you can tap into it in Australia or South Africa or America or London or wherever. If they didn't know anything about computers, they'd say you were crazy. Normal reaction. If it's not normal and I can't see it or touch it, then it doesn't exist. Um, but if you said exactly the same to someone who knows about computers, knows about Wi-Fi, as everyone does now, then they'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know about computers and Wi-Fi. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah. And the only difference between, oh, yeah, I understand that and you're mad is knowledge. So if you can suppress knowledge, you suppress. Mm -hmm. And this is what I've been saying over the years. One of the greatest forms of human control is suppression of a sense of the possible. Because if you can suppress that, then when people like me and others are pointing out uh, how we're being controlled and how we're being controlled is operating outside their sense of the possible, then they'll dismiss it by reflex action because it's not possible, mate. No, no. Don't confuse what you believe is possible, perceive is possible, and what is actually uh, possible. So keeping knowledge from us, particularly about the nature of reality, is fundamental. This is why this global cult controls science, controls academia, because it doesn't want people to go there. So um, if, if you then look at um, – you, you, you say to someone, um, tell me about the Internet, they'll say – yeah, well, the Internet is um, it's videos and it's graphics and it's words and it's all that stuff um, on the on the computer screen. OK, yeah. All right. But that's the only place the Internet exists in that form. It doesn't exist anywhere else in that form. It's Wi-Fi fields or it's electronic circuits. And then you say, well, OK, um, where is the Internet that you perceive as the internet, what is on the screen. What does that mean? It means it's in the computer. That's where the decoding is going on, in the computer. You know, the, 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 the right. internet screen is not here or here or here or here. It's here. And so um, if you then look at how we decode reality, and a lot of this is mainstream science, is the five senses are picking up frequency information, wave field information, waveform information, turning it into electrical information, which it communicates to the brain. And the brain, I say, um, decodes it into digital holographic information, which we perceive to be the external world. But it's not actually external. It's in here, just as the Internet is in the computer in the form that we see it. Um, and uh, so if just uh, going on that uh, on that theme, I'm saying that the body is the equivalent of a virtual reality game headset. Right. And you can add the gloves with the most sophisticated ones, which are picking up touch senses and the, the, the audio and, and, and what have you. And if you look, um, anyone can go on the Internet and find a compilation of people putting on a headset 
and then watch what happens. All they're doing is being fed information, which, well, and, and, and what's the entry point of the information? It's the five senses again. They override them. And so um, you see people, they've just got a headset on. That's all they have. And they're, they're being fed information and they're screaming and they're shouting and they're falling over and they're running um, and, and they're standing in an empty room. But their perception is that what's happening is happening. And then they take the headset off and they can say, oh, it's just a game. But if this biological computer is our equivalent of the headset and it's decoding the simulation as an experience, quote, physical reality, our entire lives. And the only way you can stop that is to leave the body and leave the world then um, you're going to go from cradle to grave believing that what this is feeding you as an, uh, an external physical reality is an external physical reality. And just finally, if you know that, yeah. and this is what, I mean, okay, this global cult is a global network of secret societies. Secret societies, why? Because the secrets are what they want to keep from the population. And even the, the cult itself is massively compartmentalized. So only a very rare few actually know the big picture of all this. But what's passed on through the upper levels of this um, secret society network is a the plan for humanity, which they want to keep from us, obviously, although it's much more difficult now. It's playing out in our eyes. But they also pr- crucially want to keep from us the nature of reality, because if we if we um have a perception of reality that it's all real and they know it's not, then they are in a fantastic position of manipulation. Oh. And uh, so that's where, that's where I go and, and a lot deeper um, in, in the dream. And that's, that's where the whole thing's taken me. And just very quickly in, um, in um, April, 2021, best part of 20 years after I started saying this is a simulation, um, there was a, a an article in um, in Scientific American by an academic who said he concluded that this is a simulation and the limit of the simulation is the speed of light. And he related the speed of light to what he called processing speed in the sense that you can you can encode the game with your rules, laws of physics, but you're still going to be limited by your processing speed, as he calls it. Um, so. Um, yeah, it's it's been quite a bloody journey, <laughs> Lee, to say I the bet. least, to get where I am now. Well, I just have so along this line. I mean, so that's the big picture that this is a simulation. But the question then becomes, and this is kind of where I am. I mean, are we? It, the question has to be asked then: Are we nothing but digits on a computer somewhere? And there are these people out there playing the game, and there's where we are. Or were we somehow captured? Are we in a prison planet and this simulation has been imposed on us from without, but we actually have substance reality of some sort? You know, I, I th- I'd like to think we are children of light and that we're, you know, made of the substance of God, you know, whatever reality God is, that we have, we are that light force and that they've imposed this reality on us. You know, it's like, I, I just, I hate to think, I hate to think that this is all just completely, we don't exist at all in any form. That just doesn't set oh, well. No, no, no. The, the good news is, uh, that's not the case. Um, this, 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 
this layer, this is my feeling anyway, this layer, but you call it a Wi-Fi field, this layer, and it's very, very small, very, very narrow of what I call the simulation at the human level, um, it's kind of been laid over prime reality. Because, you know, when, when people talk about heaven, they, 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 they look up. But actually, dimensions of reality are not like Chester drawers. They're sharing the same space, like the old analog radio television stations. They're sharing the same space. And unless they're very close on the dial, the wavelength, they don't interfere with each other. They're not even aware of each other. This is, a, this is just a wavelength we call the human world. And so if you, um, if you see prime reality, and I think there is a kind of a, a, an earth system that is in prime reality, not simulation, actually is what you might call natural. It's been created, um, with good intent. Um, and then you lay this, um, this Wi-Fi field, uh, simulation over it. And then you, um, create a decoding system that trapped consciousness decodes the simulation. And I, I do think that it's very possible that um, the story of Adam and Eve uh, symbolizes the fall into the simulation reality as we right. fell to paradise, prime reality, infinite reality, and discovered... Um, Good and evil. What is good and evil? Polarity. This whole system, this whole um, simulation works mm-hmm. on polarity. All polarity. And it's um, it's an electrical system, as, as you'd expect it to be. Uh, and so there's this whole area, you've probably come across it, of scientific research. It's kind of just off main, well, quite a bit off mainstream. It challenges mainstream massively. And it's endlessly has been proved to be true and accurate. It's called the electric universe. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, um, <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh, when someone shows you a, a, a subliminal picture, there's a subliminal insert in a picture and you can't see it because your conscious mind can't see it because the subliminal is there. Talk to your subconscious mind, not your conscious mind. It's, gonna, it's trying to get through the conscious mind so you don't, sus- it's trying to manipulate it. Um, and then you point out to someone who can't see it where the um, subliminal is. And every single time that person sees that picture again, don't matter how many years hence, right. they'll see the subliminal first that they couldn't see before. Why? Because it's been taken from the subconscious to the conscious. Um, and now the conscious is aware of it, so it, it sees it for, uh, very clearly, which it couldn't see it at all before. And with this information um, that we're talking about and other information, it's exactly the same principle. Once you make what is subliminal manipulation, once you make it conscious, you can suddenly freaking see it. Why can't yeah. I see it before? Well, why couldn't you see the subliminal in the picture before? Um, and, and so this is what is happening to so many people. It's brilliant yeah. is that people who are truly awakening are not just talking about it. Um, they can then start to see things they couldn't see before and they can start to go on their own journey of, of, of expanding their awareness of what's going on without any help. 
because they, they, the world literally has been made conscious to them in terms of how it's, how it works. So I got to show you a picture. Now, this is one, when you were talking about that, there's a, there's some kind of world, there's some kind of something below this simulation. Then this is my question about that. So this is a picture I show at meetings and I kind of, interestingly, I got into trouble one time at a, I gave a pat to talk to a bunch of pastors and I showed this and I said, look, they're talking about taking, this is geoengineering. They're talking about decreasing CO2 and they show here what plants do at different parts per million of CO2. So at 1218, you know, uh, at 1700, they do great, even better. So somewhere between 1200 and 1700 plants are thriving. And then at 782, the, the, the plant looks worse. And then at 461, it looks pretty much dead, but we are sitting at 419 parts per million. And so I got this slide from Willie Soon, who's a, an astrophysicist at Harvard, basically. And so I said, I said, okay, so they're showing, they're, they want us to go lower than force. They want us to go down into the three hundreds, which will be the p- death of plants. And so I had as the, then I, I, my next slide, it had this picture on the left and on the right, I had a picture of a reptilian in a banker suit sitting at a table. And I said, and I said, uh, so for whom are we geoengineering the world? And you know that that's kind of what got me in trouble for saying that. But but the point I'm saying is that there is, if this were all electromagnetic, if we could just re, if they just could just reset us that way, why go through the trouble of doing all this geoengineering? Well, they're dealing, uh, they're 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 dealing with consciousness, um, uh, and they can't just uh, do um, anything they want until they have completely suppressed um, consciousness. So to to um, manipulate consciousness, they have to manipulate the perception of consciousness, uh, or the at least in an ideal world, so it's the perception of reality. Yeah, yeah, perception of reality. So um, if you um, went and you 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 consciously um, experienced it from 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 one world to another world, like very quickly, like. Instant. I mean, why, why are people starting to get it in numbers now? Because the world is changing so increasingly they quick. They can see it. And now they can see it. Now, what they've had to do, I said this years ago, um, there's going to come a point where they're going to have to break the surface and we can see it. People can see it because you can't transform society in the way you want unless in the end it's transformed and people can see you're transforming it. Otherwise, you, you know, you're going to be under the radar forever and society is not going to be what you want it to be. So that it's going to come a point where, um, and it will be there. I mean, COVID was the big entry point of that, where people can start to see in increasing numbers actually what's happening. And what you want to do then is you want to get from that point where you know that large numbers of people are going to be aware of it. You want to get to the end game, which is control of humanity through artificial intelligence not least connecting the human brain to artificial intelligence so that we get our perceptions direct and we don't even form them anymore. And the manipulation of information is not necessary anymore. So what, what they have to do to, 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 to hide what they're doing, they have to give us an apparent sequence. They have to give us a reason why they do. What they do. So it's like um, we, we've got to uh, reduce CO2, the gas of life, um, because uh, we've got to save the world because we're dying. It's dying because of human-caused climate change. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> and 
What is it's the, the matrix, but you're just not in a pod. Yeah, it's the electromagnetic field, um, which are technologically generated, um, of 5G, 6G, they're already doing the, the, the contracts for, and 7G after that. Um, and, um, our mission control, instead of being expanded awareness, as expanded as you want to be, will be the cloud. And, you know, if you want to, um, put the cloud on every inch of what we call the planet, then you can do it to a certain extent with towers, mm-hmm. but you can't do it everywhere. You have to do that with low orbit satellites. And that's what people like Elon Musk are putting up or fronting up anyway uh, with SpaceX and other people too. They have um, already have FCC um, agreement to put tens of thousands of dollars no, no. there. And this, this is to create another layer of protection to stop people becoming conscious beyond the simulation. Because once you do, it's obvious what's going on. And uh, it's uh, this is the level of awareness that we need to, to, to reach and, and, and go beyond to really bring an end to this, to understand the nature of the game that we're involved in. Because what, what concerns me, uh, Lee, about what's called the alternative media is which didn't exist when I started out. I watched that form. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that so so much of it, the great majority of it, is still focused in the five senses. It's whether yeah. Trump's going to win or or, or 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 Robert Kennedy's going to do well or whatever, and, and what the this State Department. It's it's all kind of um, five sense centered, and and it's. That's fine. If people want to do that, that's fine. But, but what it does is it's shutting out, um, these, uh, this, this vast amount picture. of knowledge that's there to be, to be known to understand the size of the picture that we're dealing with. And in the end, doesn't matter if it's the macrocosm, uh, uh microcosm rather of how, how do you, um, how do you get freedom from authority? You stop obeying authority. Um, uh, when it, when it's seeking to impose, um, or delete your freedom, you stop acquiescing to authority. You stop thinking authority has power. It doesn't. Authority's power is the power we give it in the form of acquiescence. And then when you get to the big picture, um, and what, what is that I've just described? It's a reevaluation of perception, a reevaluation of, of who we are. We're not taking it anymore. I'm not little me and I'm not having it. And from a, the, the, the whole simulation trap point of view, it's the same answer. We, we, we need to reevaluate our self identity. If, if you, if you, if you focus your attention and your self identity on um, the body and the labels of the body, then you are focusing on limitation. You're focusing on I can't. You're focusing on um, the world that, that we call human, which is just a brief experience. And as a result of that myopia of self-identity, you're going to access a tiny amount of the infinite field. In fact, what you're, re- you're, you're going to access is not actually the infinite field. You're going to access only the simulation field, which is feeding you your reality and your perception. So, um, if you, um, 
are uh, in a situation where you are only getting your perceptions from the simulation field, then you are in the world. We're all in the world because the body is decoding the world, so we're in it. And you are of the world in the sense that your perceptions are coming from the same world you are experiencing. You've got no other radar, no other um, way of filtering what you're experiencing and saying, hold on a minute, what's going on? But when you um, self-identify with being that infinite awareness, then that, as I said earlier, that uh, very uh, self-identity perception spans your uh, consciousness into the field more and more and more, and you start to eventually tap into those levels of reality, consciousness, insight, knowledge that are beyond the simulation field. And at that point, you are in the in the simulation, but you're not of the simulation. As it says, as it says in the Bible, in the world, but not of the world. So I'm, I'm got, I'm tempted to just ask if Christ is the, uh, cosmic Edward Snowden. I mean, essentially that's what you're saying is that we are, we, maybe he's the messenger. You know, I, I just, uh, when you look at what he's saying biblically and what we're hearing all the time and what we're looking at right now, it's like, that's what Edward Snowden, you know, left left the, the NSA and started ratting out how it was just all this computer simulation that was that was controlling people in America and all over the world with this with this stuff coming out to artificial intelligence. I just think that's yeah. Well, whether um, yeah, how do, uh, where's the end game? Artificial intelligence is running this world on a far greater extent already. Than <laughs> yeah, it, right. It to be. Um, well, um, you know, uh, I've I've never followed a, a religion um, right and and you know, whether people believe jesus existed or whether it was symbolic um some of the things that are attributed um to uh, quote jesus um have a lot of validity absolutely they do and yeah. um uh, you know it's uh, uh i mean th- there are many mansions in my father's house <laughs> well there's infinite realities um in uh, Infinite. Sounds very familiar. Yeah, and and you know, so wh- whether people accept it as literal or symbolic or whatever, there's a lot of really good stuff there. And, and that's the thing about religion. Um, you can pick up some really interesting stuff from religious text. Um, the the problem is if you take it all, every last syllable, to be how how it is, um, that can be a perceptual prison. Um, right. I, only, I only need to know what's in the Bible. I only need to know what's in the right. Quran. That's all I need to know. Well, actually, it isn't. Um, there's a lot more to know beyond that. But take 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 what feels right and leave the rest. Um, one of but, the th- I was going to say one of the things that really strikes me is how the organized church hated the Gnostics. I mean, they hunted them down to about the last man, which says to me, what were they? Now I'm looking at the world. What were they saying that they really didn't want out there? And again, I think it's the, you know, you talk to anybody uh, that is, you know, heard about Gnostics uh, from a Christian perspective, and it's always, oh, they wanted to make themselves God. And I don't get, from the Nag Hammadi, I don't get that impression. I get the impression they believe the world was hacked. But maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. I mean, I got the impression that they, 
they believed that there was something bigger than this demiurge. That the real truth is out oh, there, and we're yeah. being stuck. I, I mean, it, I've got I've got two uh, big translations of the Nagamadi text up there, two books. Um, they they were saying um, this is a fake reality, and that this is basically from a from a Christian point of view, this is the realm of Satan. This is the yeah. realm of the devil. This is the realm of the demons. And it is. It is. Can't, you, can't you, hit that one. Yeah. Um, and But that beyond, they, they talked about the upper eons and the lower eons. The lower eons is, is this, um, what they said, bad copy, this fake reality, this simulation. But the upper eons, basically infinity beyond it, um, which they um, which they described is what I call prime reality. Uh, so that, no, they they weren't saying that this is all there is. They were saying that um, this is a trap. They they no. they they talked about the. Funny enough, um, they talked about the body being a trap. Yeah, and and it is because it's a program. And this is another uh, thing that I say that got to get stranger and stranger. This is another thing that I say in the, in the dream. I say that what we call mind is AI, um, but not human AI. It's what I call astral AI. Um, the, 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 the body um, uh, has a program running through it, which we call mind. And that program is dictating reality unless we become conscious beyond it. Then we start overriding the program. That's awakening. That's the maverick. There's all the all, all the people that won't, okay. <laughs> won't go with the normal because the normal is being fed to them by the mind. Uh, and it's an AI program. And if you um, are only in the five sense AI program, then from cradle to grave, your mind is already your uh, life is already laid out because the program is going to run your life. Once you become conscious beyond it, it's what they're terrified of. Right. Um, then, then you start overriding the program and you start going your own way. Uh, and it, it's interesting that, you know, I, I, I've done this. I'm sure many people have done this. It's, it's well, uh, well known. Um, if you just sit quietly, you can listen to your own thoughts. You, you can listen to this mind chatter, all this mind chatter. Oh, I said, mm-hmm. to, said to me, and then what I'm doing, I remember all these things that keep coming, coming back. And you think, where did that come from? Why am I thinking that? It's, it's, it's all in this AI mind program. And, and so when you just consciously take a step back, you can observe your mind. You can listen to your chatter. And then you say, well, what's listening to the chatter then? I thought that was me. <laughs> what's listening to the chatter is you. Consciousness, um, listening to the program. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you can, um, if you can override the program, which is, which is what the connectedness to AI is all about, really, uh, with the many reasons for it. That's a major one. It's to keep us in that program. So we don't override it with consciousness and go our own. Uh, so we become basically a hive mind. That's what the AI yeah, that's is all what they about. Want. Yeah. Do you think there are synthetic people among us? And by that, I mean, either, I mean, completely not biologic, but, but appear to be biologic or the other possibility is uh, cloned biologics. I mean, there's all sorts of different 
issues that are talked about out there. And part of me is uh, in favor of that just because there's so much predictive programming about it. Every movie, every, every show yeah. now is talking about. Well, in, in, in um, virtual reality games, you have this phenomenon called non-player characters. Right. There seem to be a lot of them in politics, for sure. Yeah. Oh, there are, yeah. Well, they want them there, don't they? They they want non-player characters in politics because then they'll just act according to program. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, um, yeah, non-player characters. Well, I say that if you uh, go through your life only being dictated to by what I call astral AI mind, then you're a non-player character. Because you're not playing the game. The game's playing you. This is what non-player characters are in virtual reality games. Um, they're, they're, they're like extras in a movie. And the, oh, the, the, the game is deciding everything that they do. Uh, it's the, the player has some influence on the game, but the non-player characters do not. Um, and, and yeah, so I think there are uh, people uh, in the world uh, that um, are not conscious in the way that um, we would perceive consciousness. And I think some of the major players in the cult are non-player characters. And and one of the things you see um, with these um, people are their lack of empathy, their lack of compassion. And, uh, you know, if you uh, program a computer to abuse a child, is the computer going to question it? They're just going to do it. Uh, right, which and, is what we call psychopaths. So, and they yeah. claim that somewhere between four and ten percent of the world are psychopaths, which is interesting. When I was in medical school in 1976, they said it was four percent. Now I'm hearing ten percent. Well, that's that's interesting because I've said in the books over the years the estimate of psychopaths in the world is far too low, far too mm-hmm. low. If you t- if you take what's called the hair test of a psychopath, um, named after the guy who developed the test, um, the top two um, things. Uh, of a psychopath or lack of empathy, not being able to put yourself in the, the feelings of, of people you affect and compassion, lack of compassion. And, and so what happens with a psychopath is empathy for me is the fail safe mechanism of human behavior. Because if you have empathy, then there's a limit to what you will do and affect other people in doing because you can put you, you can feel what they would feel if you did it. If you don't have that, then there's no limits. You can do anything. You can do what's happened in Israel at the moment. You can do what Israel is doing to the Palestinians at this moment. You can um, you can do all of these things um, without uh, any emotional consequence because you don't have uh, empathy and, and compassion. So there's no consequence for you. You just do it like a computer. And I think there are people like that. But there's another point that I, I would say that I talk about in the dream. Um, how do we know biological is natural? How do we know it's not a form of technology? Because, um, okay, you can compare the biological with the technological and you can see they're different. Well, they are different in the way they look, but they're not terribly different in the way they work often in terms of the electrical communication systems. Um, but how do we know biological is natural? Uh, uh, we've got to have something that is absolutely solid gold, unequivocally natural to compare it with. We don't have that. We only right. have we we see. And when I see things like Moderna 
uh, Moderna documents describing the contents of their vials as operating systems. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think they bloody well know that, um, well, I've, I've come across other confirmations of that in different times and places as well, that this cult at the inner core, it sees the biological as a form of technology. And, um, the, um, what do they call it? Augmented reality, where they're connecting the biological to the technological. Well, they can do that because there are very, uh, there are many points of connection between them where you can compare the two, not least the electrical nature of both. Now, there's a video going on that point. There's a video going around. You may have seen it. You probably you see everything, but it's it, it's talking. It's called the spiral timelines. Have you seen that? And, and it shows two. The idea is, you know, you start at time zero, or what? You know, I know that time's an illusion, but start at zero, and then you have two two spirals coming out here, and one of them is Archimedes' spiral based on you know the uh, Fibonacci sequence, and what we call natural is actually what they're calling the fallen metatronic timeline. In other words, it's the fallen timeline of this earth. And then there's the crystal spiral, which is a different mathematic sequence. I didn't, I don't remember if I ever saw him list what it was. The guy I heard talk about this, but that, that, that it's different mathematics gives you different reality. And essentially that they've been separating over a long time and suddenly they're crossing right now. And they, on November 4th, they separate for good. I, I'm just saying that because when you say what is natural, I mean, maybe that's the, maybe that's one of the, we well, still don't have a goal. I get it. We don't have a, a gold standard, but. Yeah, we don't have a gold standard. No, that's the problem. Um, so you, you can't say, uh, for, for sure. But, um, for me, what we call natural exists beyond the simulation All in right. the sense that consciousness creates reality. That's, that's the natural course of events. So if you, if consciousness creates um, an experience, it creates a reality, it creates, I don't know, a, a world, um, then it's a natural creation of that consciousness. Whereas what we are living in, which is why the book is called what it is, the we're dream. living in an induced dream, which is technologically generated. Um, so, um, Years ago, when I was a mainstream uh, newspaper journalist, um, I would um, I would wake up in the morning sometimes and I put the radio on while I'm still lying in bed and it would be a news show, of course. And then I'd fall back to sleep for a, a, a while. It seemed a long time, but it wasn't very long at all. And I'd <clears throat> very often have very vivid dreams. And the dreams, um, uh, when I woke up, always related to the news story going on on the early radio. So the dreams were induced. And this um, decoding system I'm talking about is constantly inducing a dream. It's not a natural reality that our consciousness is creating. It's a, a technologically generated reality that our consciousness is being given to perceive. And the, the difference when you realize that is phenomenal when, when it really sinks in. And, you know, when we have a dream at night, when we sleep, um, 
we get emotionally and mentally pulled into it. You, 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 you're oh, feeling yeah. emotions as if the dream is real and all that stuff. Sometimes people can wake up and go, oh, I just had a nightmare. But I don't know whether you've had this. Um, I, have, I have these dreams regularly, and I'm sure many other people do too, where you're having a dream, but you know it's a dream. You know it's a dream. So you're actually observing the dream. And the dream, um, therefore, has no impact upon you. It's not impacting on you emotionally. It's not impacting on you mentally. You're just observing the dream because you know it's a dream. And, and you know, when, when you start to realize that this is just an induced dream, a lot of the, the dramas that impact upon you, when you know your infinite awareness uh, and you're exploring forever, forever, and this is just a brief experience, a trapped brief experience, um, then all the dramas of life that impact upon you so fundamentally before, they don't have the same impact because you literally are observing the dream. You know it's all a bloody illusion. And, you and, know, uh, I can say that up here, but as a mother, it's hard to escape the, this this reality because of the love of your children. You know, it's like that is such a bond and it's hard to say, okay, you know, because people want practical solutions, how I can make the world better because they want to make it better for the next generation, for their children primarily. You know, that's, yeah. that's, is, I mean, I mean, I have kids. I, I do I understand, know. I do understand that. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that I walk around in a, a semi dream, just observing it all. Um, what, what happens, the process that happens is that you, 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 you do get pulled into the dramas. Um, but, you you realize you're being pulled in and you step back from it much quicker and quicker and quicker as the more you experience it. And what you um what you do, you talk about your children there. Um what you do is you you start to to contemplate what is important and what isn't. So you 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 still want the best for your kids. You're still doing everything you can for the kids. I do it I, I do it myself. Of course I do. But there's so much other peripheral stuff, enormous amounts of it. Just awful. Matter. You know, uh, but we make it matter. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have this thing I call a deathbed a perception or perspective where, okay, you've got 10 minutes to live. Okay, so what matters now about your life? What about the bloke that cut you up in 1956? <laughs> the lights. And you got yeah. out. You were going. To, you were threatened to smack him. Uh, what about that relationship that didn't go very well? Um, does it matter now? Well, no, it doesn't matter now. And, and you start to see the very few things that really matter, and they're all about love, and they're all about caring, and they're all about being loved, and such like. And then you say to the guy, "Well, I've got some good news for you. You haven't got ten minutes to live, but just take that perspective you've just had and take it through the rest of your life." Yeah. And and just see what really matters. And very little does. Very little does compared with what it did before. Once you realize that um what you're part of, it's an it's it's an illusion, it's an induced dream. And uh w- once you start to grasp that, you can start controlling the dream. You can start controlling the nature of the bloody dream. That's Be- the that's the that's what I want to hear about. How do you how, how do you make things better in that dream or how do you what's what's the answer what should we be doing 
Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Some of the things that 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 I that I, I do. Um, I, I just. Uh, but the, I, I, it's a theme. But I'll give you an, an example. Say um, I'm not feeling too good, which is really, really, really freaking rare now. Uh, I'm not feeling too good, and I've got a talk to do in say three days' time. Now, what I do, I call it putting a putting a flag in the sand. Okay, my reality is that I'm going to do that talk and I'm going to be fine and it's going to be great. Every single time this disappears to make that happen. What you're doing is you, you, you are saying this is what my reality is going to be and nothing's going to stop it. And what happens is everything rearranged because consciousness is, is the, the, the arbiter of everything. As long as you access it, tap into it, um, everything rearranges so that that outcome will be the outcome. And I've done it so many times over the years. Oh yeah. You're not feeling too good. Are you? What about the talk? Um, Fine. Okay. And it is. Um, and so if they can manipulate you to constantly have a perception that things aren't going to be fine, that, that things are going to go wrong, yes. that, that nothing great ever happens to you, you're just little me, what power do you have? Then the same process unfolds and you create a reality that relates to your perception. You know, I, I um, when I was a kid, a small kid, before I started becoming good at football and it, um, it, it changed my, uh, my, my confidence. But when I was a little kid, I was a little me. Um, and nothing uh, good was going to happen to me. I was frightened of everything. Um, and so when people, you know, are in little me mode, I completely understand because I was like that when I was a kid. Uh, and, and, um, and you create that reality. And then you you uh, change your perception, not least of self, your perception of possibility, and um, suddenly your life changes, and you start to do amazing things and and uh, have great adventures which you never thought you would have. Now, what am I saying? I'm simply reversing what this cult is doing to humanity. I'm reversing it. They w- want to put us in a state of perception that sees ourselves as little insignificant uh, human bodies that um, have no power. Authority has power. Um, And why do they want us in that perception? Because then through this process I'm talking about, we will create that reality. What you believe you perceive and what you perceive you will experience. And what you're doing is you're reversing it. You're saying, no, no. No, no, the good things in life do happen to me. And I'm going to make sure they happen to me. They are going to happen to me. They will happen to me. They are happening to me. Uh, and, and it's a completely different, it's a reversal of manipulation of perception. What you're doing is you're taking control of your perception back. You, you'll say, you know, where people say, oh, this, well, if this is happening, this is the sequence. This always happens. Okay. Well, I'm not having that sequence. I'm not doing it. <laughs> you know, I, I had this. I had this arthritis, and they told me um, when my football career ended. I was only twenty-one, uh, just twenty-one actually. 
uh, that um, I might be in a wheelchair by my 30s, the, the way that it looked. And it progressed and it progressed. And um, there was a point when, when I was doing, you know, all that I do now, where I was um, I was walking through Heathrow Airport. Thank goodness it was Terminal 5, which had kind of um, uh, not non-carpet floors where I was. And I, I was actually had to take the shoes off and shuffle on my socks oh my. to to the um, departure lounge because I could hardly move. And I got to, I was going to India actually, and I went to India and um, I slept for 48 hours, straight, almost straight. I'd wake up in the dark and I, with the curtains closed. I wouldn't know if it was day or not. Um, and I, I thought, hold on a minute, you're saying that the, 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 your consciousness is creating this reality. Your perceptions of it create reality. So what, why are you in this state then? And I thought, well, that's a good question. And I'm not going to be anymore. I'm not having it anymore. I do not perceive myself as having this arthritis, um, limitation. And now I'm 71 and I could go and play football with the kids. No problem whatsoever. Doesn't wow. trouble me at all. Doesn't trouble me at all. And, it, and, and, and the, the, it's just that I've decided I'm not having it. It's not my reality. You know, if this is an illusion, if, if you look inside an atom and this is, it's empty and it's supposed to be the building blocks of the physical world, then, then live it, know it and know that your consciousness is impacting upon energy, which then manifests as your experience. And if your experience is arthritis, then you don't have it anymore. I mean, if it's gone so far, I mean, you, you might have some vestiges of it. I've got a little bit on my hand. That's the only place I feel uh, I have it now. But I've got no wow. pain, none whatsoever. And according mm -hmm. to the prognosis, at 71, I should be, if not dead, then a wizened old man. And I think I'm not because I'm not having it. I'm not having it. And, and, and if your consciousness won't have it, won't perceive it, believe it, thus experience it, then you're controlling your reality. And like I say, they want to control our perception because they know this process sequence exists. They know that's how it works. So if they control your perception, they're also going to control your bloody life. And wow. we can take it back. And uh, what we need to do is um, is change reality by not accepting the reality we have. And part of that is non-acquiescence with what the authorities want to do. Wow. Thank you so much. And thanks, thank Gemma for making this possible. No problem. All See right. You Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. And if you want to help support this program, please go to the medicalrebel.com shop. And besides having a subscription podcast where we go over actually, you know, question and answer, we have lots of interesting guests. We also have the new uh, improved Rebel Immunity. This is my own design. 
it's got several it's got several things in here which I think are very important to for everybody. I designed this specifically thinking about vaccinated people, but it actually is good for all of us. So for example, this has the Japanese dose of iodine. Most people get just a few micrograms from their diet and not too much more from the over-the-counter supplements. But this one has 12.5 milligrams. This is what the Japanese get every day from their diet. And so this is the the in my opinion the natural level that you can benefit from and they have the lowest risk of breast cancer etc so I, I i have used this for a long time in fact you can actually take more i have added copper to my immunity because copper seems to be the magic juice it's i have one milligram in here and i've also added chromium how many people are diabetic because they have a deficiency in chromium it turns out a number that is a that is a problem that we haven't been taught one more lie in the truman show of medicine and of course it still has the zinc it has selenium, which is a super antitoxin. Uh, I used to say it was a birth control for viruses. That was what my friend Dr. Butar used to call it. But now that we think are thinking differently, I will tell you, it helps get rid of toxins out of the cells. And of course, it has N-acetylcysteine, a thousand milligrams, quercetin, and betaine, which is a methyl donor. For those of you who have taken a vaccine, it turns out they dumb down our methylation in order to get it into you, and that's a bad thing for your nerve system. So this is a methyl donor. Um, and uh, that's my new Rebel Immunity. For the price of just the iodine, you've paid for all the rest of it, essentially. So uh, come join me at the themedicalrebel.com, go to the shop, and we have lots of good information on the site as well. Thank you very much. Episode 34. If you take three steps back, a lot of what's happening around the world seems like an attack on Christianity. Thanks to the Neocon Project, virtually the entire ancient Christian population of Iraq was eliminated. The U.S. government, under several presidents, has funded, effectively, the killing of Christians in Syria. And this continues throughout the Middle East and in Eastern Europe. In Ukraine, the most obvious example. The Ukrainian government has now banned an entire Christian denomination, and virtually no one in the United States has said anything about it. We thought it would be worth learning more. Bob Amsterdam is an attorney representing that denomination. He joins us now. Mr. Amsterdam, thank you very much uh, for coming on. Explain, if you would, to people who haven't been following this, what's the denomination, what's its status now, and why? The Ukrainian Orthodox Church is the home of orthodoxy in Ukraine. It's been around for a thousand years. Five years ago, the Ukrainian government, in its wisdom, set up uh, what is called an autocephalous church, an independent church, independent of Russian, any connection to the Russian canons, and decided that that church should replace the spiritual home of Ukrainians. That church called the OCU has been engaged in an absolutely vicious, unlimited campaign to uh, steal uh, property, harass, intimidate, and, and jail clerics, uh, force conscription on believers, uh, act in a manner that is, is almost unbelievable in a civilized society. And they'll use the excuse that this church 
which, by the way, completely separated from Moscow in May of last year, is somehow connected to the Russian FSB. But based on the testimonies uh, I've reviewed, there seems to be little substance to this allegation. And in fact, there are other institutions in Ukraine, like the secret police, who have been far more infiltrated by Russia than this particular church. Yet there is a reason for it, and it's a sad reason. The politicians in Ukraine, including perhaps the president, want to take the populist vote of those behind this new church and therefore feel it is in their political interests to destroy this ancient branch of Christianity. And, and, and I absolutely can tell you that the, the damage that has been visited on the leadership of this church, including five-year jail sentences for 75-year-old clerics, just astound you that in the 21st century, a country that wants to join the EU would ban a religion, let alone an ancient Christian form of that religion. And, and moreover, a country whose functions of government and national defense are effectively solely funded by the United States taxpayer. So the, I think Americans have an interest in this. And if you ask Christian leaders in this country, and, and I have, Shouldn't we be concerned when the Ukrainian government, which we're all for apparently, is banning a Christian denomination? They just say, well, no, they're not really Christians. They're Russian agents. If you could respond to that well, in a little more detail. You know, I'd be happy to, because firstly, I carry no water for Putin. I'm banned from Russia. I defended one of Putin's biggest enemies. And it is very hard for this particular branch to obtain counsel because people are so afraid of being connected to Russia. We have mobilized so much hate and animosity towards Russia uh, that it is, it is completely obscene. And there is a, a huge PR ban on saying anything that is critical of the Ukrainian government or President Zelensky. And as a result of that, we fail to understand the context of internal Ukrainian affairs. And the, the Russian connection, the allegation of FSB uh, connections, were it to be true, the evidence against uh, these four uh, metropolitans would be substantive, and yet they're, they're painfully inadequate. Uh, the charges of one metropolitan who has 400 children he's adopted relates to hurting the feelings of other Christians or other denominations. I mean, these charges are on their face, political charges. So as, as an attorney who's operated in a bunch of different countries over m many decades, um, and you know, I, I would encourage people watching this to look up uh, your resume, I, I, I think it speaks for itself, um, you're not an agent of the Russian government. Uh, it seems to me that it's it's like prima facie unacceptable for a so-called Western liberal government to ban a religious denomination. It, I thought that was a traditional red line. If you're doing that, by definition, you're authoritarian. Am I missing something? Tucker, not at all. There is no basis under the Ukrainian constitution or under international law or the laws of war, or Ukraine's own resolution in terms of limited rights during the war, 
for the begin for for the banning of a religious denomination. And you know, on our departures podcast that we have, we actually have a lengthy interview where we explain all of this. This goes beyond anything acceptable. It's a violation of the EU charter. It's a violation of the Copenhagen criteria that the Ukraine would have to satisfy to enter the EU. This has nothing but a uh, Tammany Hall local political logic. And I have to tell you, frankly, I'm a, I'm a Jewish person. I do not understand how it is that Christian leaders are not up in arms because I think their silence on Ukraine is dangerous for Christian denominations throughout the world. And I'll tell you, part of the reason I'm doing that is because of my concern for Christian brothers and sisters and, and what it means for them that, that we see raids on churches, we see violence, we see balaclava-covered individuals beating clergy, kidnappings. It is completely shocking. The UN has spoken out. German experts on orthodoxy have spoken out. Many orthodox denominations don't recognize the, quote, new state church that the Ukraine have set up. And it is shocking to me that a country such as the United States with with strong Christian leadership, I thought, could allow this to go on. Because what the Ukrainians try to tell you is that it's the same religion, this OCU state church is the same religion. But in fact, my clients, the the church I represent, their prayers are in church Slavonic. Their liturgy is different. And, and I can tell you, as, as somebody who is not a youngster, were somebody to come into my church or synagogue and change the language and change the leadership, I would be horrified. Yeah. There's nothing more intimate than one's relationship to his God. And this intervention for callous political purposes is unacceptable and it is shameful that not only Christian, but all leaders of all denominations have not spoken out against the Ukrainian government. Well, it does seem a little weird that it falls to a Jewish lawyer from the U.S. to defend a Christian denomination, and bless you, sincerely bless you for that. But where is Russell Moore, the editor of Christianity Today? Where is the Senate Majority Leader, Mitch McConnell, a purported Christian? I mean, they're Look, backing this. What is that? Do you have any theory as to why this is happening? Yes, yes. The Ukraine lobby is immensely powerful. And uh, there is a humongous ban on truth right now in the United States with respect to what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, many of our leaders in the United States aren't even hearing this. It's the same in Europe. You cannot get through the, the massive uh, PR machine that the Ukrainians have put together and, you know, I'm on their side. I, I am absolutely pro-Ukraine in terms of the devastation they've suffered as a result of the yes. war. But why that is being channeled against my clients, the Holy Synod, men who are dedicated to God and their, their followers, who, let me be frank, are the most devout part of the Ukrainian populace. Why these innocents are being persecuted in this way is beyond my comprehension. Probably because they are the most devout.
I, I have to say, there's so few people of principle left in our public conversation, and you're uh, demonstrably one of them. Grateful for what you're doing and for telling us about it. Mr. Damstam, thank you very much. Thank you. Now that we know that Ukraine is not actually winning the war against Russia, it could be time to revisit some of the other slogans we've been assured are true and ordered to repeat. Are they in fact true? Did, for example, a racist white cop actually murder a man called George Floyd, a civil rights leader, in Minneapolis on Memorial Day of 2020? Now, we've been told that that happened, told it relentlessly for more than three years. So at this point, we've been told it so much that pretty much everybody seems to believe it. And because everyone does kind of believe it, a small group of people has been allowed to make massive changes to American society. They include, but are not limited to, decriminalizing stealing, defunding the police, adding a new federal holiday to the calendar called Juneteenth, the ceasing of hiring all white men in corporate America, and of course, significantly, they also sent a cop called Derek Chauvin to prison for more than 40 years. He would be the racist white devil who murdered George Floyd. But the question is, did he actually murder George Floyd? And the answer is, well, no, he didn't murder George Floyd. And we're not guessing about that. We know it conclusively, thanks to a new court case now underway in Hennepin County, Minnesota. The case was brought by a prosecutor there called Amy Sweezy. She's suing her boss. So the case is not actually about George Floyd or Derek Chauvin, but it tells you an awful lot about both of them. In her deposition, which you should read, Amy Sweezy describes a conversation that she had with the county medical examiner, Andrew Baker, right after George Floyd died. Quote, I called Dr. Baker early that morning to tell him about the case and to ask him if he would perform the autopsy on Mr. Floyd. Sweezy recalls all this under oath in the deposition. Quote, he called me later in the day on that Tuesday and he told me that there were no medical findings that showed any injury to the vital structures of Mr. Floyd's neck. There were no medical indications of asphyxia or strangulation. Oh. In other words, George Floyd, according to the official autopsy, was not murdered. He died instead of what we used to call natural causes, which in his case would include decades of drug use, as well as the fatal concentration of fentanyl that was in his system on his final day. So this was not a killing. It was yet another narcotics OD in a country that courts more than 100,000 of them every year. The medical examiner clearly understood that and in fact articulated it. And Sweezy explains. He said to me, she recalls in the deposition, Amy, what happens when the actual evidence doesn't match up with the public narrative that everyone's already decided on? And then he said, quote, this is the kind of case that ends careers. In other words, everyone lied about it from the very beginning. The people who knew the truth hid the truth and allowed the revolution to proceed. Now they've been exposed. Now we know the truth. What happens next? Well, they're going to ignore it. The Biden administration just issued a long purple statement celebrating George Floyd's birthday. He's a martyr despite the fact we know that he was not murdered. And by the way, Derek Chauvin is still languishing in jail for the rest of his life. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond to the truth once we have it? Well, Vince Everett Ellison seemed like a good man to ask. He's the author of Crime, Inc. He joins us now. Vince, thanks so much for coming on. So as with so many other stories, the oh, origin of, me, of COVID, oh, it's, it's a blessing to have you. Um, we now know what actually happened, 
But the question then is, what do you do with that knowledge? We know that the U.S. government, Tony Fauci, worked with the Chinese to create the virus that overturned the American economy. But like, what do we do with that knowledge? What do we do with the knowledge that George Floyd was not actually strangled to death by a cop? We have to acknowledge the people that gave it to us and why. See, George Floyd is the Democratic Party's prototypical black man. These are the black men they are trying to create. So George Floyd has to be elevated. He has to be celebrated. He's perfect to them. He was poor. He was uneducated. He was a drug addict. He didn't have a job. He was, he, he was uh, uh, down there begging and, and, and crying and asking the white people to not kill him. To a Democrat, to a white Democrat, this is the perfect black man. So he has to be elevated. Look, not a, a few days ago, uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Biden celebrated hip-hop music. They had a celebration of hip-hop. Hip-hop culture is America's culture. It is a genre. It is music and melody and rhyme. And hip-hop is also an ethos. A music genre that calls the black man the N-word, calls women the W-word and the B-word, uh, talks about misogyny, shooting police, um, uh, uh, smoking dope, selling dope, fighting, killing, acting a fool. They celebrated this genre. Why? Because this is how they see black America. They see us the same way they see George Floyd. And they have to make more of us because everywhere they rule, you know, John F. Kennedy stood in front of the um, uh, Berlin Wall in the 60s and said, if you think that communism is great, let them come to Berlin. Well, if you think that the Democratic Party is great, let them come to Detroit. Let them come to Chicago. Let them come to St. Louis. Let them come to L.A., Portland, Seattle, Memphis. Anywhere where they rule, you'll see George Floyds all over the place. And they're proud of them. In Baltimore, Maryland, they spend $21,000 per child for, for, for every child up there in, in, inside the school district. Not one school is proficient in math, science, or reading. But they keep it going every year. Why? Because they're producing George Floyds. But and George Floyd vote for the Democrat Party. We, but why would, so when most of us, you, me, I think all normal people look at George Floyd's life, you think this is a disaster. This guy never added anything. He took a lot in prison at least eight times. I mean, his life was a tragedy at best. Why would you want more people like that? Because he votes for the Democrat Party. And then he teaches his children to vote for the Democrat Party. Uh, and then these white Democrats can feel superior to him. Yeah. He can be controlled by them. Just like, think about the old slave plantation, Tucker, back in the day. How they wanted their slaves to act. Subservient, obedient, ignorant, you know, uh, uh, doing what he was told. Not asking any questions. Uh, having a slave mind. Being dependent on them. This is how they want black men to be in America. This is how they want the whole black community to be. This is why uh, it started in the Civil Rights Movement. When Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Green speech said, 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Negro is still not free. He said five times in that speech that we were not free. It turned the Declaration of Independence on its head because in our Declaration of Independence it said that our freedom was an unalienable right given us by God. John Locke in his second treatise of government said that an unalienable right is a right given from God. It is irrevocable, non-transferable, and, 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 and unsellable. The government cannot touch it. It supersedes law. It supersedes the Constitution. However, King said that we was coming to government and to the white man for our right to be free. 
Even at the end of the speech, he said, on some certain day, we'll be free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. He said in that speech, when will we be satisfied? He said, we will never be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. That's a fancy way of saying never. And so black people heard that speech and said that we were not free here in America. And we make our children recite that speech every single year on King's birthday. And they say in that speech, the Negro is still not free. George Floyd was a slave in his mind. And the civil rights movement caused him to be a slave in his mind. And today they're still marching 60 years later, telling black people, you're not free. Beg for reparations. Beg for affirmative action. Kill your children in the womb. Uh, cut off your, your, your child. You castrate your children. Let drag queens come into school and shake their behinds in your children's faces. Run God out of the public square. And then they end up like George Floyd. But the one thing they do consistently is they vote for the Democrat Party and the places where George Floyd's live, they stay in absolute power. That's a pretty that's a pretty dark explanation. So you're saying that the Democratic Party as an organization intentionally degrades black black people to keep them compliant and obedient. Oh, yes. In my book, Crime Inc., I talk about one of the main things they do, like the like the mafia and organized crime, they humiliate black people. They demoralize them. It's a Marxist construct. They demoralize their people. They beat them down. They tell them that they're victims. Well, it was Martin Luther King Jr. that said, they tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, how can you pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you're bootless? You know, he told us we were bootless. You know, you have black uh, uh, preachers, and, and you've heard, you know about my Iron Triangle, the black preacher, the black politician, the black civil rights worker. They go into the black community consistently. You're a victim. You're oppressed. The country hates you. Well, see, I look at them and I say, I'm a black man, but I cannot be oppressed. You know why? Because I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of Jesus Christ. I cannot be a victim. Why? Because I'm an heir of Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I cannot be a victim. See, they tell these people to go against their religion and their basic ideology because most black men say they're Christians, right? But then they walk around saying, I'm oppressed. I'm a victim. I'm afraid. 365 times in our Bible, they tell us to fear not. Yet they walk around saying they're afraid in, 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 in the United States of America. LeBron James said he's afraid. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar says he's afraid. Kaepernick said he's afraid. Well, I'm a black man in America, and I'm not afraid of a damn thing. I don't ask for permission in my own house. America is my home. So as they walk around here crying, talking about I'm frightened, I'm afraid, I can't make it, please help me, I tell them they stink in my nostrils. They're an affront to God. The flip side a white male intimidation during the civil rights was also black male cowardice. They laid down and let them beat them, slap them around, rape their wives and their children. Well, no, not me, never me. I'm a free man. I live in the United States of America. They say it's an honor to be that, it's, that there's white supremacy and that uh, 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 white people have some type of privilege. Well, as I said before, it is a privilege to be white, but it's also a privilege to be black. And it's a privilege to be an American. And it's really a privilege to be a Christian in the United States of America, the greatest country on the face of this earth. And they're not going to make a George Floyd out of me. I stand up strong. I look him in the eye. And I say, I'm a free man. My freedom comes from God. It's an unalienable right given to me by him. You cannot touch it. And if you try it, I got two things that will get you off of me. Jesus and my 38. Come try me out. <laughs> so... So the Democratic Party used BLM as a as a domestic militia in the last presidential cycle, 2020, to defeat Donald yeah. Trump. Do you expect something like that to happen again? Well, you see how they use the same tactics as Iran. 
Iran has Hezbollah and Hamas as their militias. And the Democratic Party uses BLM and Antifa as theirs, throwing the rock and hiding the hand. Of course they're going to do it. They've always done it. Even at the beginning, they used the Ku Klux Klan for, 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 the, for, for the military ring. Now they're using BLM, they're using Antifa, they're using NAACP, and they're their suicide bombers. They're their shock troops. They're their brown shirts. They're their street soldiers. And they're going to go out there, and I guarantee you, Tucker, they're going to, they're going to look over all the black-on-black violence. They're going to look over all the black men killing black men. They're going to look over all the snatching grabs and all the burning and all the fighting and looting and acting a fool. And they're going to find one crazy white cop that's going to do something to some crazy black man, and then they're going to try to burn this country down for it. That's their plan. That's their template. I hope America's ready for it because it's coming. And it always works for them. It always works because the, the press and everybody's just waiting. Oh, they're on, the, they're, on the, they're, they're on the starting line just waiting for it. And as soon as they find that golden kill, that golden kill, watch them go crazy with it. BLM is going to start getting their money from the Democrat Party because that's who they get it from. The same way that Hamas gets their money from Iran. The, the, uh, BLM gets their money from the Democrat Party. And BLM does not stand for Black Lives Matter. It stands for burn, loot, and murder. And that's what we should call them from now on. Vince Everett Ellison, Bible in the 38. It's great to see you today. Thank you very much. This is a speech given by Tucker on October 25th. At least that's when it was posted. I thought early, and I actually wrote a piece, not for the Daily Caller, I'm embarrassed, but for Politico, because I wanted to sort of drop a bomb into my neighbor's laps, um, and said, look, you may think that Trump is a ludicrous figure, and you, know, you may be onto something, but... Fundamentally, what he's saying is not crazy at all, and in fact, it's necessary. And if you don't want to have another revolution in the country, you should probably start paying a little bit of attention to what the people beyond Washington think. And, and I thought then, that was January of 2016, I thought that that message was so rooted in common sense and also in observed reality that he would probably win, and, and he did. So I got a lot out of making that one call correctly in my life. Um, and I really did think that we would see, say, five or six, seven years hence, a, a political system that more closely matched that idea. You know, that the works product coming out of Washington would bear a little closer resemblance to what people wanted. And of course, the opposite happened. It's crazy how that idea just went away and no one actually believed in it, which that blew my mind most of all, including a lot of people I thought were on my side. A lot, including a lot of people who paid a lot of lip service to, you know, put the country first. I personally don't like the term America first because I think it is loaded, but just like, just common sense stuff. Like if something really dramatic in your country happens, like young people can't, I don't know, get married, you know, or buy houses or have any hope for a future that approaches, you know, the middle class upbringing they had, then you've got a huge problem and someone should be responding to that. And if your economy is like on the brink of, collapse, you know, if your country's literally bankrupt, someone would say that. And if food inflation gets so crazy that, you know, people are actually complaining about it, at least where I live, I spend a lot of the year in rural Maine, that doesn't make me an expert on the people or anything, I'm fundamentally a rich kid, obviously, but I do live among people who aren't rich, and they're like legit upset about what groceries cost, like for real, and what gas costs. And now that we've drained you know, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, they're about to find out that it could get way higher than it is. So these are just real concerns. It doesn't mean they're the only concerns, 
but they can't be completely ignored or, or you're going to have a volatile situation on your hands and why wouldn't you? You know, angry people who feel like they have no recourse, who don't think elections are real, and they're totally right, obviously. Let's stop lying. There's a lot of truth in that. And those people are, you know, they have real grievances, legit grievances. And the only way to tamp those grievances down is not by creating some East German surveillance state, comma, which we have done, comma, or throwing people in prison for loitering outside the Capitol, which is their house after all. That doesn't work long term. It didn't work in Eastern Europe. It won't work here. The only thing that does work is kind of giving them not all they want, but some. Or how about this? Let's just start with pretending you care. But you know what doesn't work? Saying we're going to spend $100 billion dollars in other countries. And I don't care how virtuous the case those countries make is. And I don't care how much I personally may agree or disagree with what those countries are doing. That is immaterial. The job, the moral duty of the people running a country is to look out for the people in that country, period. That's always true. And it doesn't mean they can't help other people or whatever, but if they pay no attention whatsoever, and in a moment when every person, 350 million Americans, everyone, regardless of political affiliation, can feel that something bad's coming, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. I mean, if you've been to church once in the last year, have you thought about the end times recently? Yes, you have. Whether, I'm serious. Because you can feel that abrupt change is coming, and that's very disconcerting. And so rather than reassure people that, you know, we kind of got your back a little bit, by the way, we're going to spend $100 billion dollars on other people? Oh, and the border security part is purely designed to make it easier for more people to come here illegitimately. That's freaking scary, okay? So I don't have TV at home, and I don't watch TV. We haven't in years, because my wife is fiercely opposed to television. But obviously, I have some familiarity with the genre. So I'm thinking to myself, the other day I was like, I wonder what they're saying about this on TV, but I'm just being honest, I have no way really of knowing. So today, I'm, today, this afternoon, two o'clock this afternoon, I'm in the hospital visiting a very sick relative, and in the room, and I'm very focused on this, and it's, you know, a drama familiar to everyone who has a family, and, and these are the saddest moments in your life, but I'm sitting there, and the TV is cranked way up, because it's a facility for older people, and no one can hear well, so when they watch TV, it's like, bam, it's loud! And it's a channel that I'm familiar with. I guess I'm familiar with all of them, um, having worked at all of them, and admit I've been fired from all of them. But, um, <laughs> but this is one I know well. And, and I'm thinking, well, I wonder what they're saying about all this. You know, because their job is to be, you know, opposed to this. And they take the White House briefing. And the White House briefing is just a humiliation exercise because it's administered by the dumbest person in public life. Like, so dumb it's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm not being mean. I feel sorry for her. By the way, intelligence is not a moral category. My dogs are dumb and I love them. So I'm not sort of judging her, but I'm just saying, as, you know, this is like a mouth breather, okay? And her, the whole point of her being the White House spokesmoron is to tell you that the people in charge have no respect for you, so we're going to put the dumbest possible person we can up there. And she's prattling on about Iran. And I'm just waiting for her. Like she doesn't know Iran from Innsbruck, okay? She has no idea what she's talking about, right? And I'm literally waiting for her to say, you know, to attack Saddam Hussein, the president of Iran, okay? Because literally her shallowness has no bottom. It's like a Zen cone that's almost like a Kamala Harris line, actually. But anyway, 
And then they come back, and they're totally taking her seriously. And then the oiliest fake admiral spokesman who's ever commanded a ship can't run, literally can't run a Boston whaler. He's been a flack his whole life, admiral. He's a liar, and I know him personally. He's a liar, and everyone who's dealt with him knows he's a liar. And they're like, well, he says this. And the upshot is, we got to attack Iran. Now, I'm thinking to myself, I, you know, I have no love for Iran, and I can certainly see why people want to attack Iran. All I'm asking is, just to put one person on TV to point out that there are consequences to the United States that may not be entirely positive to doing this. That maybe another moral victory, and we've won a lot of those recently. I don't know, are you guys sick of winning moral victories? We've won a lot of important moral victories. I interviewed someone the other day, a major political figure from the UK, and he's like, well, we've let all these refugees in, and, and it's really been a great moral victory. And I was like, I was just in your country, and it's garbage. I mean, it smells, and it's pathetic. And, like, do you think that... I know you're psyched about your moral victory. You're good people. You're, trust me, you're good Anglicans. I'm really so impressed by you. Morally, but, like, has there been a downside in real terms? And he's like, oh, I can't answer that question. Not allowed. So anyway, I just wanted someone to stand up and ask the obvious question. I'm not ar even arguing against a war with Iran. I'm merely saying there are consequences to doing that. One is we can't win it, probably, with the, with the defense uh, that we have currently. I think that's fair. Um, but even if we could, I mean, what would happen if they mined the Straits of Hormuz? I mean, I, you know, I'm no energy expert, but I think that we would have an immediate energy shock that would send our country into an economic spiral within like hours, okay? And we don't have any cushion because we burned it all, because the senile guy is running for president again, okay? And we sort of let that happen. We sold some of it to China. We sort of let it happen. So that's not a small thing. One thing Americans are not used to is being poor. In the rest of the world, people really worry about the economic effects of everything. Why wouldn't they? Because they're not generationally rich like us. But what if we ran out of money? At the very same moment that American society is more fractured, our social fabric is in tatters, and we've let in millions upon millions of people who have no affinity for the United States who are merely here for the economic benefits, which, by the way, is not all bad, and I think a lot of them are good people. I'm not attacking them. I'm merely saying their addition does not make us a more cohesive country. It makes it a far less cohesive country, okay? No matter how admirable they may be, and I know some of them, and I really like them, okay? I, I've even met illegal aliens I really like. I'm just being honest. But if you have millions upon millions of people with no loyalty to the United States who are all on public benefits and the country goes bankrupt, what happens? You know, last time we had a depression, the country held together because Americans had a lot in common with each other. But what happens next time, honestly? Moreover, when your country's at war, civil liberties disappear. And we saw this in the last 20-year war on terror. And I supported all that stuff, and I, I have egg in my face. I'm worse than that. I'm ashamed of the measures that I supported, which were, of course, turned against me. And the NSA got busted reading my text messages on Signal, which is supposedly secure. <laughs> Spoiler it's not. So keep the naughty pictures off signal, okay, because they're looking at them. Um, but they did that. They got caught doing it. No one resigned or even apologized, and that was all legal because of the measures we put in place the last time we were fighting the bad guys over a 20-year period that measurably weakened the country and from which we derived nothing in the end. So I'm merely saying maybe we should just pause for one second to ask, could we be doing that again but at scale? Not one person. You're not allowed because everything is some moral argument. Well, are you on the side of the bad guys? No. 
And so I look at how this is arrayed, and again, I can't tell you how disgusted I am by the behavior of people who said they were conservative and cared about the country, and clearly don't. Because no one asked that question. They're all too afraid. And then the other side, the wackos running around calling for you know, the pro-Hamas people, decolonize, you know, they're mad at Israel for being white and they want to kill everybody. I, obviously, if, if forced to choose, I go with Ben Shapiro, okay? But I shouldn't have to choose. Like, there should be the America guy in the middle who's like, I have strong sympathies here, and, you know, morally I'm on one side, but I'm an American, and I've got a ton of kids. I'll speak for myself. I am an American. I was born here. I will die here. I have a ton of kids, and I kind of want them to be able to live here in a country that resembles the one in which I grew up. And what about them? Shut up! Oh, shut up's not good enough, actually. And I just, the spirit of fear and I hate to use the term, but groupthink that has descended upon lawmakers and, I would say, movement leaders in Washington where no one can say something that's completely obvious because, well, you're anti-Israel? Well, no one's going to call me anti-Israel. I like Israel. And one of the things I love about Israel, in addition to the fact it's beautiful and great food, took my kids there on vacation, is I like the Israelis. What do I like about the Israelis? They, they're proud of themselves and their country. I like that. I like secure people. But I don't, know, I don't know a single Israeli, and I say this as a compliment from my heart, I don't know a single Israeli who would jeopardize his own country's economy or safety for another nation. Because they care about their nation. Like, what the hell? I'm saying this as a compliment. But why would we do that? And when I see leaders on the left and right call for refugees from Gaza to be imported here, they're too dangerous for other countries, but we should take them? What are you saying? What are you saying about how you feel about my country? You're saying you consider it a trash bin. Throw the refuse there. No one else wants to deal with it. America will deal with it. Well, how about no? How about anyone who even suggests something like that? Speaking, I mean, speaking of a betrayal of your country, that's just telling me everything I need to know about how you feel about the United States of America and I'm disgusted by it. Did you even think something like that? Really? And yet that is considered like kind of within bounds. And I noticed there are a few Republicans who are like, well, that could happen, and we're going to pass legislation preemptively to make sure it doesn't. It's like, why would we even have that conversation? That is truly nuts. It's nuts. And more than anything, it's revealing of an attitude that is poisonous and that everyone else in the country can feel. They know it. And again, don't look to me because... I live in my family summer house. I'm not pretending to be, you know, what J.D. Vance actually is, which is a son of middle America, of working America. I'm not. But I try to observe, and I try to talk to people. I like people. And I can tell you, I can promise you, that the level of resentment toward those attitudes is extremely high. It's extremely high. And it absolutely should be. And now we will hear what Jesse Waters had to say about a number of different subjects. There's new evidence Dr. Anthony Fauci helped deliver a coronavirus strain to America a year before the pandemic. Documents uncovered by the White Coat Waste Project show that in 2018, Fauci's goons went to the Wuhan lab, bottled up a virus and then brought it to a lab in America. Then Fauci's team went to a roadside zoo in Maryland (laughs) 
and grabbed a dozen Egyptian fruit bats, threw them in the back of a van, and then took the Egyptian fruit bats across state lines to the middle of nowhere, Montana, and then spliced them up with a coronavirus. Fauci Frankenstein bats on our soil a year before the pandemic. But then he acted all shocked when the virus started spreading. Remember, our scientists said, oh, this is natural. Some pangolin sneezed at a wet market right next to the Wuhan lab. The government knew the Wuhan lab was playing with the viruses. We played with them there, too. We played with them here. We funded it. We trained Bat Lady. How many times do I have to say we trained her? But Fauci and his goons tried to play it off like they'd never heard this before. Just lock down, shut up, and wear a mask. Justin Goodman is the senior vice president of the White Coat Waste Project. You're telling me they grabbed a bunch of bats from a stupid Maryland zoo on the side of the road, drove it into the middle of the country, and started experimenting on them with coronaviruses? Uh Unfortunately, that's uh, that's the sad truth. Fauci is a felon and a fraud whose bloodlust for torturing animals in laboratories was so unquenchable that they were rounding up bats from zoos, rounding up pet dogs even in some cases, and kept an island of thousands of monkeys off the coast of South Carolina just to torture and experiments. And obviously, as we saw with COVID, going around the world and collecting dangerous, un- incurable viruses and stockpiling them and manipulating them in laboratories is a recipe for disaster. And it's only a matter of time until we have another pandemic on our hands, courtesy of the NIH. So Fauci grabs a virus from the Wuhan lab, grabs a bunch of Egyptian bats from Maryland and then mashes them together in Montana. Not only that, but Batwoman from the Wuhan lab and Peter Daszak from EcoHealth were the ones who went into the southern, the caves in southern China and found this bat virus in the first place. Then it was shipped to this, this NIH lab in Montana. Now, let me add, the kicker is that this lab in Montana, this government lab in Montana that was overseen by Fauci, still exists, has a history of uh, infected animals escaping, no people getting into the laboratory, un- unauthorized people getting into the lab, and bioweapons development. Yet oh. NIH is about to spend, or currently spending, $125 million of COVID relief funds to expand its bat labs. Wait a second. We're using COVID money to grow more bat labs? You've got to be kidding me. It's an accident waiting to happen, and we're funding it. And the, add to all of that that the NIH nominee from the Biden administration, who's about to take over the NIH, just told Rand Paul in, hearing, in a hearing that she supports gain-of-function experiments on animals. She supports funding uh, labs in China and other enemy nations that are completely unaccountable to American taxpayers. Okay, lock her up. Lock Fauci up. Lock everybody up in Montana that's responsible. Lock up the stupid zookeeper in Maryland. Let's just try to save as many lives as possible and keep everybody out of these labs. Great work. Great research. Keep the heat on these guys. Only way we're going to shut these dumb labs down is we expose them. Think back to when you were a kid. Your parents catch you with your hands stuck in the cookie jar. Your first instinct? Blame your sister. Or play dumb. What cookie? Despite the cookie crumbs littered across your lips, children will lie to survive. But... Deflection doesn't always go away with age. Look at our president, a walking, talking cookie crumb. For each crumb, there's a laptop, an email, a photo, a whistleblower, an LLC. 
Joe Biden's been shoveling Chinese fortune cookies down his throat his whole career. Like a kid, he thinks the cookies are in his tummy and we won't find them. Where's the money? I'm joking. Mr. President, Mr. President, it's a bunch of Biden's so used to being protected that he thinks you need to find gold bars in his closet to get in trouble. As long as they don't find cash sewn into my windbreaker, I'm fine. Well, following the money is hard work, man. Retrieving old bank records, that's really hard to do, man. Or looking up your balance for your loan on your loan. That's a killer, man. That costs so much money for those banks. The president thought he was going to be able to run out the clock on having to turn over bank records. The president thought, you know, records of your bank files are stored in cabinets and warehouses. And it would take years to send a bunch of bankers to dig through boxes of bank records and Xerox them and turn them over. It's actually electronic. You just type in an account number and you hit print. And it doesn't take a lot of money to do it. You'd be surprised how much money banks have, Joe. It's why they're banks. It's where we keep the money. And James Comer is finally getting his hands on Biden family bank records. So far, the left says there's no evidence incriminating Joe Biden. They're not putting forward any evidence that Joe Biden received any of this money. Republicans have not tied the president, uh, Joe Biden, to profiteering from them. There is no evidence that Joe Biden directly benefited from anything that Hunter Biden was doing. The majority sits completely empty handed with no evidence of any presidential wrongdoing, no smoking gun. So we've established that a smoking gun is dirty money coming from overseas into Biden's bank account. Well, look what we have here. That's a check made out to Joe Biden for $40,000. His brother's wife wrote him the check. But where'd the money come from? James Comer found out. $40,000 in laundered China money landed in Joe Biden's bank account in the form of a personal check. China wired Hunter's company $5 million. Hunter's company wired Hunter $400,000. Hunter's company wired Biden's brother money. And then Biden's brother's wife wrote Joe a check for forty grand. Well, wait a second. What's 10% of $400,000? That's 40 grand. That's 10% for the big guy. So money hit Joe Biden's bank account from China and it added up to 10% for the big guy. I wonder if the Democrats will change what a smoking gun means. This happened on the five on Monday. (laughs) What happens if the next check originates somewhere really bad, Jessica, and I mean really bad, And it goes through Hunter or it goes through James and it goes directly into Joe Biden's checking account. Is that a smoking gun? Okay. Um, So two things. Yes or no? No. Yes or no? No, it's not. It's not. I was promised a smoking gun. And if I deliver a smoking gun, you have to admit that gun is smoking. So the new excuse is it's okay to bribe politicians, family members. And now it's okay to bribe politicians themselves. And it's okay for politicians, family members to shake down our enemies for bribes. Hunter was texting these Chinese guys. You better pay me the money. 
My dad's sitting right next to me and he's going to be angry. And then the Chinese texted back, yeah, we want to do business with your fam. They sent him the money and the money got to the big guy. And the Bidens got this money for favors Joe Biden did for China while he was VP. He greased approvals for the Chinese to buy American car companies. He hosted the Chinese at the White House. He wrote letters of recommendation to Ivy League schools for them. No administration was softer on China than Obama Biden. None. And after he left office, the Bidens worked on natural gas deals for the Chinese, helped them take over African mines. The Chinese were paying them in diamonds. And then the Chinese said, Hunter, you need to help Uncle Joe run for president. And then China helps Joe get elected president. And Joe shuts down the China task force, doesn't mention the lab leak, doesn't pop the spy balloon, and is inviting their nuclear scientists over to look into our nuclear facilities. So what's Biden's lawyer say about this now? You ready? They say the check was a loan. So every time Joe gets dirty money directly into his checking account, they're going to say, oh, it's just repaying a loan. They just write loan repayment on the check and think it's going to fool us. Menendez should have just written loan repayment on the gold bars. What an idiot. This is why the CIA didn't want Biden to run for re-election. They knew this was coming out. Comer has just begun to get Biden family bank records. You think this is the only Chinese check Joe Biden got? It's just the beginning. Primetime has just scored another big victory. The whales have received a stay of execution along with my beach views. We've been telling you for months how Biden's offshore wind projects are destroying the Jersey Shore, but just yesterday, the Danish windmill company pulled the plug on two massive projects off the Jersey coast. The company's admitting Bidenomics doesn't work. Despite billions in giveaways, the windmills still won't work. They won't make money because of high rates, inflation, and China. But that's not all. Offshore wind farms in Massachusetts were just canceled. Offshore wind in Connecticut is collapsing. And offshore wind projects in New York are about to get canceled. The whole Green New Deal's falling apart right before our very eyes. Biden's favorite electric bus company, Proterra, just filed for bankruptcy. It's what happens when your buses catch on fire. General Motors and Honda just killed their low-price electric car joint venture. Ford just stopped work on their new Michigan electric battery plant. The company's losing $36,000 per EV, per. Biden's handing out $7,000 coupons to buy electric cars, and no one's buying them. This is what happens when companies make cars for politicians instead of companies making cars for customers. No one even thought to ask the customers if they wanted an electric car. The smart money is in oil. That's right. ExxonMobil and Hess have discovered 11 billion barrels of oil off the coast of South America with a B. It's the biggest discovery in a decade. It appears as if we're going to run out of minerals for batteries before we run out of oil for cars. Joe Biden tried to run our economy like Joe Stalin. But just like the Soviet Union, the math doesn't add up. And now billions of dollars are gone. And all we have are cars that never made it off the lot and windmills that never made it out of the warehouse. Now, if I know Democrats, and I do, we're about to witness one of the biggest green bailouts in history.
You've been listening to Radio 5G, a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening.